everyone. Welcome to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining us today. So today we're going to continue our study in the book of Daniel, and we'll be discussing chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. Okay, so what line won't you cross? Meaning, is there something that you believe in so strongly that you're willing to stake your job, your reputation, and maybe even your very life on it? What is that line for you? Well, in our passage today, we're going to see that there was a line that Daniel would not cross. Now, remember, Daniel's writing this book about his experiences in order to encourage fellow Jewish exiles in Babylon and to remind them of God's sovereign control over the world and to encourage them that God will one day restore them. God is in the restoring business. Now, God did allow Babylon to invade Judah and conquer it, but Judah was already on the path to destruction because of her idol worship and refusal to follow the ways of God. God allowed Judah to be taken apart in order to rebuild it and improve upon it. We may feel our own lives are falling apart at times, It's hard not crossing that line. And God will sometimes allow a season of trials and difficulty in order to show us areas of our lives that need improving, areas that God wants to restore in us. And in today's passage, we're going to learn what we should do while we wait for his restoration, while we hold that line. So let's read Daniel 1 verses 8 through 21. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your face as looking thinner than the young man your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food, and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So now remember, Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, along with other Jewish young men from the nobility, they are being sent through a three-year program, basically of indoctrination into the Babylonian culture. And upon successful completion of this program, they were going to enter the king's service. They were taught the language and literature of Babylon, 
and they were given royal food and drink of Babylon. Except verse 1 says that Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or wine. Now, as we mentioned last week, the meaning of the word determine from the Hebrew is to set or place or put. So Daniel and his three friends, they set their minds on this decision. It wasn't spur of the moment. It was thought out and planned. And once he set his mind or determined not to eat the king's food, he stuck to it. But now why? I mean, why did he think the king's food would defile him? Well, because he had been taught that according to Mosaic law, food had to be prepared a certain way. And the Babylonians didn't do it this way. I also read that it was a custom in ancient times for people to throw a small portion of food and drink on the ground as an offering to their gods in order to consecrate the rest of the food for the feast. And eating food offered to idols was expressly forbidden in Mosaic law. As one Bible scholar says, like Moses, Daniel chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy sin for a season. And he was already being immersed into the Babylonian culture by having to learn Babylonian language and literature and ways of living. Maybe by refusing to eat their food, it was a way to hold on to God's standards and his way of living. And I surmise that Daniel and his three friends, they had already been taught the ways of God and had already been following the ways of God even before they were captured. I think Daniel had already made up his mind that he was going to follow God no matter what. So when this dilemma came, he knew what to do. Now, I don't want to oversimplify how difficult this decision probably was for them. I mean, I have a son and I know how important food is to a teenage boy. And imagine the culinary delights that were coming from the king's table. I mean, this was not an easy decision to make. And it wasn't like their parents were watching. I mean, it wasn't like they would be punished for eating the king's food. To be honest, they had every excuse to eat the food. I mean, they were being held captive. They were far away from home. They were apart from everything that was familiar. They were going through the most traumatic experiences of their young lives. Why not have a little indulgence? All the other Jewish boys were probably doing it. Who's it going to hurt? It would have been so easy for them to lean into these excuses and accept them. And no one would have blamed them if they had. But they didn't. And I think it was because they chose to follow God way back then, before any of this. And because they determined to follow God then, they were better able to determine to follow God now. So let's also resolve now not to be defiled. Let's also make the decision now to be followers of God so that when difficult times come our way, the right choice will be clear. Now, notice what Daniel does. He asks permission from Ashpenaz, the chief official who's been in charge of their teaching and care, not to defile himself. You see, he doesn't just make the decision. He acts on it. He does something about it. He's proactive. But he does it with respect and tact. Colossians 4, 6 says, Our conversation should be full of grace. And 1 Peter 3.15 says we should always give an answer with gentleness and respect. Daniel's exercising such wisdom here. I mean, by asking permission, he's making his request more palatable while gaining the respect and favor of the chief official. 
which made him more willing to listen to Daniel. And it worked because verse 9 tells us that God granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief official, Ashpenaz. God is sovereign over all things, even unbelievers. And God is in all places, even a pagan nation like Babylon. I mean, it would have been very easy for Daniel to feel abandoned, rejected, and defeated in the midst of such difficult circumstances. I mean, they've been captured and forced to adopt the ways and culture of their enemy. But Daniel, he continued his walk with God in spite of his circumstances. And that's a difficult thing to do when our circumstances seem so large and looming. It can be difficult to remember that God is in control and is there with you. I mean, Daniel didn't know that God would intervene by causing Ashpenaz to favor him. Daniel just did what he knew to do in that moment and trusted God with the, with the outcome. Author and professor Carl Truman summed it up well. He said, love the people and the place in which God, the Lord has set you. Do the work he's given you to do and trust him for the rest. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Now, although God had caused Ashpenaz to favor Daniel, he still had some reservations about granting Daniel's request. He told him in verse 10, I'm afraid of the king who assigned this food and drink for you. And if he sees your face as looking thinner than the other young men, he might take my life. Other translations say, have my head. You see, these captives, they were a highly valuable commodity to King Nebuchadnezzar. So he expected his specimens to be of the highest quality and caliber. And see, here we see a dichotomy between a believer and an unbeliever. The chief official, he placed his job security and his very life on what? The king, the food, and the drink. He placed his security in tangible things, things you can see and touch. These were the things that he thought would produce the desired results. You eat the king's food, you'll look healthy, then the king will show me favor. But for Daniel... It was the intangible things, God and obedience to him, that mattered most. It mattered to him so much that he was willing to stake his life on it. Now, God does sometimes use tangible things of the world for our benefit, food, shelter, companionship, but more often than not, he works in the realm of the immaterial, the unseen, because that is what's more important to him. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So where have we set our affections? Now Ashpenaz, he already presumed the outcome of Daniel's request, that they would look worse, a negative outcome. His worldview was narrow and pessimistic. He left no room in his thought process for any other possibility. You either eat the king's food or you die. And don't we sometimes fall into that trap? I know I do. Because this thing is happening to me, there can only be one possible outcome. You see, this is what focusing on material things produces. It prevents us from being able to look beyond our present circumstances. If circumstances are good, I'm happy. If things are bad, I'm unhappy. But this is not how God wants us to live. 
Matthew 6, 20 and 21 says, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says, With man it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So if you don't remember anything else it said today, please remember this. What you see is impossible when you can't see any way out, when you can't see how any of this is going to work, God makes a way where there is no way. Trust him. And God's way in our passage today is to inspire Daniel to propose a test. Verses 11 through 13 say, So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. And here we see Daniel's tenacity. You see, he didn't just give up after one rejection. I mean, he could have thought, well, I tried, but Ashpenaz is afraid of the king, so there's really nothing else I can do. But instead... He came at it from another angle. And this is a great lesson for me. I hope it is for you because I'm guilty of trying something once and if it doesn't work, I immediately give up and say, well, God must have said no. He must not want that for me. When maybe he wants to teach me perseverance and determination. But that was not Daniel. I mean, this was important and he was not going to give up after one try. So you see what tact and respect and negotiation produces? They're able to eat what they want. And remember from verse 10, the king himself had ordered what they were supposed to eat and drink. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he was considered a ruler of rulers at that time. I mean, he had the kings of Judah and Egypt under his thumb. But even his commands fall under the sovereignty and authority of the king of kings, God Almighty. And Daniel's given us a great example of how to stand up for what you believe. Because we're often told as Christians that we should stand for what we believe, but we're not always advised on how. Because if we do it in a way that's argumentative or tactless or insensitive, then we run the risk of offending and not being taken seriously. But Daniel shows us how. And first is to be determined in what you believe. Daniel knew that eating the king's food, that was a line that he would not cross. So know the line that you're not going to cross. Secondly, as we discussed earlier, handle the situation with gentleness and respect. Daniel asked permission. And finally, when he was refused, he proposed a test. He offered a compromise. Now, he didn't compromise his beliefs or his faith or his decision but he proposed an alternative that was more acceptable. There were some friends of ours from church who lived for several years as missionaries in India. And I can remember them saying that the people in their neighborhood, they were not open to hearing the gospel at first. So our friends began allowing their neighbors to talk to them about their religion, which was Hindu. And once they realized that they were being respected and heard, they were more inclined to listen to the missionaries share the gospel. And it wasn't easy for them listening to people while they promoted their false religion. 
but it was the mutual respect and the willingness to compromise that opened the door for the gospel to be shared. So we should never compromise our beliefs, but be willing to adapt our approach if necessary. And the compromise suggested by Daniel worked because after 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better than those who ate the king's food. And God didn't just bless them with the food, but verse 17 says, God also gave them special understanding and knowledge in every kind of literature and wisdom. And Daniel understood visions and dreams of every kind. And as we're going to see, God was already supplying them with what they were going to need in the future. God provides all we need for life and godliness. And I truly believe that it was their devotion to the Lord that enabled them to utilize these gifts from God to their fullest potential. We all have been given special gifts and abilities by God, but if we aren't walking with Him, then we're not going to be able to see them as clearly or use them as powerfully as we could. So the four young men were gifted in every kind of literature and wisdom. Now, one commentary brings up the point that the four young men learned the Babylonian language and literature, but they wouldn't eat the Babylonian food. Maybe because Jews were distinguished from other nations by their food in order for them to be separated unto God. And being in a strange country, they felt compelled to continue being a people separated unto God. Also, perhaps avoiding eating the food would protect them from becoming ensnared by the temptations of Babylonian culture. Proverbs 23, 1-3 says, When you sit down with a ruler, consider carefully what's before you, and put a knife to your throat if you have a big appetite. Don't desire his choice food. And God blessed Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, not only physically, but with intelligence and wisdom. 1 Samuel 2.30, the Lord God says, Those who honor me, I will honor. One scholar suggests that the wisdom given to these young men was a divine wisdom, giving them the ability to accept what was true and reject what was false in their instruction. And this certainly tracks with the future decisions that these young men will face. So, after three years of training, the time had come to face the king. Verses 18 through 21 say, At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So all the Hebrew young men in the program were brought in before King Nebuchadnezzar to be interviewed. Basically, this was kind of like a final exam of sorts. The word consult from the Hebrew means to examine or search. It was probably an intense interrogation. I mean, these young men were going to serve the king, so he only wanted the best and brightest. And Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael definitely fit the bill because they were ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. They were not only wiser than their peers, but they were wiser than the wise men of Babylon. 
God made Daniel and his friends, who were captive enemies, who were younger and inexperienced, better at the very things for which the wise men of Babylon prided themselves. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, No one should despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example in speech, conduct, in love, faith, and purity. These youth were noticeably more qualified than anyone and were given prominent positions in the royal court. And this is truly remarkable. I mean, these are the least likely candidates to fulfill these roles. They're young, they're foreigners, they're enemies, they're captives. But none of that mattered to God. God didn't choose them because they were smart and capable. He chose them because they were willing and faithful. And then he gave them what they needed to do the task before them. You see, we often think we need to already have all the skills and abilities needed to do the job God has for us. But God, he just wants a willing heart. He will provide all that we need to do the job. Because that way, our dependence will be on him and not on our own abilities. Verse 21 closes by saying that Daniel remained in the king's court until the first year of King Cyrus. Now Cyrus was the king of the Medes and Persians, and they conquered Babylon in 539 BC. God's faithfulness was with Daniel through 70 years of Jewish exile. Four different kings and two kingdoms rose to power, and God remained faithful through it all. So often people base their hopes and security on whoever or whatever political party is in power. But they are nothing more than human constructs. They don't have all the answers and they cannot save us. Only God can offer true sustaining hope and security. And so we must remember that God is active in the affairs of his people, no matter where you are and no matter what you're going through. And even though the nation of Judah was being punished by God for her idolatry and faithlessness, God still saw individuals, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and he preserved his faithful ones, not only preserved them, but caused them to flourish. And he will do the same for you. And so we're going to close today where we began. What's the line that you won't cross? And are we holding to it? Because Daniel didn't just say what he believed, he lived it. And we too must live out what we believe. Because evil is like water. It seeps into every gap and crevice, constantly flowing along the path of least resistance. And if we aren't holding that line, then we can easily become engulfed. So let's pray for the wisdom and strength to adhere to God's word and to adhere to his ways. And he will give us everything we need to follow him. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.